0: This morning, I am excited to begin a sermon series for the month of September, so it is called We the Church. There it is, We the Church. Join together as we read all throughout the New Testament, the writings of Paul, we begin to see a common theme that he is encouraging the new believers, and that is that we are joined together that we are knit together, that we are one body and one spirit, one body, one mind, one heart, one soul. And so we want to explore that this month as we go into our, um, our fall season, as we start connect groups, as we have connect Sunday next week. We, it, there's something so important about the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Amen? Amen. And so let's explore that today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter four. We're going to start reading verse 32. All right. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So who here ever played football? Okay. A few of you who here ever coached football. Okay. All right. So when I think about unity, I feel like football has an, a really amazing, beautiful picture of unity and the, the picture of the football team, right? You see those like locker room videos where they're all like, oh, 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 and they're in the huddle I'm not a football player. In fact, I wasn't even born and raised in America. But when I first moved down here, uh, I was a sophomore in high school from Toronto. And I remember going to my first football game and it blew me away. I was like, this is like the movies. This is exactly like the movies. There's a marching band. There's the cheerleading squad. There's dancers. Everyone's chanting. It's amazing. And you see like these professional NFL coaches and they chant things out to their team, right? And the team responds. So, we're gonna do a little bit of that this morning. So, 9 a.m. service, we're gonna wake up a little bit, okay? So, I'm gonna say something and I'm gonna pretend I'm a football coach, all right? And you guys just gotta go with it and you gotta chant it back, okay? Ready? One heart, one soul. I feel like we need to add that at the end, all right? Let's do it one more time, okay? One heart, one soul. There we go. All right, okay, so as we go throughout this service today, I want to see some crowd participation. You may repeat as I say it, all right? All right. (laughs) So in the same sense of unity that there is in a football team, I feel like this is something prophetic too that God is doing among the, the church in this season. And over the last couple of years, we have seen the enemy try to work so hard to bring division among the body of Christ. Raise your hand if you've seen that. But I have been so encouraged as I've watched incredible unity also among the body of Christ. Because where the darkness gets darker, it's an opportunity for the light to get lighter. Amen? And we've seen this through different events and conferences and concerts where before you had Christian CCM music that was only ever heard on iHeartRadio. And now those... Those uh, Christian singers—they're doing collaborations with different worship artists. We're seeing um, gospel music coming into mainstream kind of Christian music. We're seeing just—we're uh, seeing preachers who otherwise wouldn't have never shared a pulpit with other people from different denominations and different streams coming together at the same events and the same conferences and the same worship albums and and different podcasts. And we're just seeing the body of Christ coming together in a different way than I think we've seen before. And this is really encouraging for me because it's, it takes humility for us to say, hey, you look different than me. You have different theological beliefs than me, but we serve the same God. We're not talking about, you know, difference in is Jesus Christ, the Lord and savior. We're just talking about different, you know, fringe theologies where before it was, we can't even be friends. We can't even be in the same room. Look at those charismatics, look at those Pentecostals, look at the Baptists. And now I feel like there's coming together more and more the mingling of different streams across the body of Christ. And it takes humility for us to say that we are one heart and one soul. One heart, one soul. There you go. Okay, I like it. I even forgot that part. Okay, you guys are on it. (laughs) So at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, we see the story of Peter and John, and they're walking um, past gate, where they're walking through Gate Beautiful, the the gate called Beautiful, and there's a man who has been sitting there, and he is lame, and he can't walk, and he's been basically begging for charity. And in that moment, as the apostles laid hands on him, he receives a supernatural miracle in his body, in his physical body. And then as we fast forward through the rest of the chapter, we also see a supernatural miracle where now it says the body of Christ is joined together in unity in one heart and one soul. And this is a supernatural miracle. But this isn't just for Acts chapter four. This isn't just for the early church. This is for Raleigh, North Carolina, Right now, right here, Raleigh-Durham in Catch the Fire, there is a supernatural miracle that is available to each and every one of us and to, available to this body of Christ where we would become one heart and one soul. In verse 32, it says, the full number, okay, that means everyone, everybody, the full number in unity. So they say that was approximately about 8,000 men, Okay. 8,000 people, and it's saying the full number of people were in unity. They were of one heart and one soul. That is a supernatural miracle. That's 8,000 men. Throw in the wives and the kids. If you want to see not unity, come to our house at dinner time. It's a miracle in and of itself to get the kids in unity. Am I right? This is a supernatural miracle that 8,000 men and women and children would be, that they would write this, that they were in full Unity, that they were in one heart and one soul. And unity, biblically defined, is oneness. Oneness. And when I think of oneness, I think of marriage, right? And the two shall become one. One flesh. In order for two to become one, that means, well, half of you has to die. (laughs) All the newlyweds are like, amen. I get it. I'm living it. And Paul, he, he uses marriage to kind of describe the mystery of the marriage and the relationship between the bride of Christ and Jesus himself and his, his bride. And in that same way, the same oneness, that same definition, there's an invitation for the body of Christ to come into covenant with one another. And to come into covenant with Jesus and be one. So that we can, we can be prepared and be ready for Jesus as he comes for his bride. Because what God joins together, let no man separate. And it's pretty amazing to me as coming you know, into this culture, seeing just how much unity there is in sports. I mean, we see that all over the world, right? We see the World Cup. We see the unity that comes with sports. And I think sometimes it looks like there's more unity in a football team than there is in the church. And there's more unity on the soccer team and the soccer field than there is in church. And March Madness comes around and it's tourney time. And there's more unity there than there is in the body of Christ. And it's been sad to watch as many people have left the church because they've been so hurt by the dysfunction of the body. Don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of dysfunction there too on on that side. But what if we were a church that was in unity together? What if we were a church that people looked at and thought, wow, those guys are one heart and one soul. Look at the amazing things that they're doing for the city. Look at how they're transforming their city because they're so united. Look at how they're gathering other churches and other believers and other people cross denominationally. And this type of unity that we're reading about, this cannot be achieved by man-made programming. It can't be achieved by a conference. It can't be achieved by an event. It can't even be achieved by connect groups that we throw and host. This kind of unity, and this is my first point, unity is spiritual, okay? Okay. And I would say, too, that probably division is spiritual, too, right? But unity is spiritual. And when we go back and we think about marriage, it is by the grace of God that we are still married, right? All those married people in the room say amen. Without the Holy Spirit in our own strength, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. It's a miracle. And that same covenant in the body... As us as the bride of Christ in that mirror image of the mystery of marriage and the bride and Jesus. It's a miracle that we're still together, but it's only through the power of Jesus. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to achieve this type of unity. This biblical, beautiful type of unity that Paul is talking about here. That we would be one heart, one one soul. soul. (sighs) And... This unity that that Paul is talking about is probably the the most beautiful, probably best type of unity that we have on this side of earth. One day we will be united with Jesus forever and there will be the the marriage feast and the marriage supper and that will be beautiful. But this side of earth, this is the most beautiful unity that we're talking about. And... I would say that the early church was probably, was actually, its goal was not to seek unity. That wasn't the goal of the early church. It was a beautiful byproduct of what happened, but it wasn't the goal of the early church. This measure of unity came as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when we make unity our goal, we will never achieve it. But when we make Jesus our goal, unity becomes a byproduct of us seeking after the presence of Jesus together. So it's not us striving and saying, we must have unity. Therefore, we're going to create all these programs and all these things for you guys to be a part of and for you to connect in so that you have unity. And we'll just, we'll hope that it happens. No, that's not how we achieve unity. Unity is by us as a body seeking after the presence of God together, and unity becomes a byproduct of that. Amen. Our goal is not unity, our goal is Jesus, and because of that, we will receive unity. Amen? And when we look in our Bibles and we look throughout history, when the Holy Spirit out, pours out Himself, the byproduct is unity, it's diversity its inclusion. In 1901, there was the Azusa Street Revival. And how many of you can agree that race relations at the time were probably not at their all-time best in 1901, right? But who does God use in this outpouring? William Seymour, an African-American man with one eye, the son of slaves, Who used to have a fruit box on his head during worship. Now that's kind of weird, right? If someone was up here with a fruit box in worship, we'd all be like, okay, what's happening. But the Holy Spirit uses him for this outpouring and this revival because the spirit of God was poured out and no one cared. No one cared who had the microphone. No one cared what was happening because the spirit was moving. And then in 1906 and 1907, we see Amy Simple McPherson, who was an actress turned revivalist, who God used powerfully in downtown LA. And how many of you guys know in 1906, 1907, gender relations were probably not at their best? Women didn't even have the right to vote. But God doesn't care. He poured out his spirit and he used a woman. And nobody cared. (laughs) Nobody else cared because unity came from that because it was a true outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather around the person of Jesus, it doesn't matter who has this microphone, it doesn't matter who's laying on of hands, it doesn't matter who's prophesying. Because when we gather around Jesus, we get unity. We don't get division, we don't look and we say, oh, you're unqualified. You're too young, you're too old. We get inclusion, we get diversity, we get unity. And unity is the atmosphere of heaven. And we know this because it says in Revelation, it says that there are people around the throne of Jesus, right? Who's on the throne? Jesus. There's people around the throne of Jesus and it says that they are every tribe and every tongue. And I promise you, when we get to heaven, it's going to look very, very beautiful and very, very diverse. And the body of Christ is going to be unified together. And what you have to bring to the body is so important. What I have to bring to the body is so important. And we need each and everything of that. But I'm not going to go there because that's another sermon for another day. (laughs) But Jesus, he wants unity among his body. And when we want what heaven wants, we're going to have to camp around what heaven enthrones. One heart, one soul. And what if we prayed for unity? Like we pray for healing. You know, when we're praying for someone healing in someone's body, we say your kingdom come, your will be done in this person's body. What if we prayed for that for the body of Christ? God, your kingdom come, your will be done. What we see in heaven, God, every tribe, every tongue coming to know you, Jesus. Would you do that here? Would you do that in this church? Would you do that in my family? Would you do that in my job? What if we prayed for that earnestly as we seek and desire the other things that he has for us? Because when Jesus is moving, the atmosphere of heaven becomes the atmosphere of this church. And when I say this church, I'm meaning the church, but also this church. Because this is also a word for us in this church. If you have your Bibles, turn. Well, you have your Bibles. Turn with me to uh, John 17. This is Jesus, and he's praying right before he heads to the cross. This is a moment where he's in pure agony. He's sweating literal blood, and he's about to give us his body, his physical body. Verse 20 it says, and here he is, and he's praying to the Father. And he's in Gethsemane, and he's praying. Remember, and he's saying, not my will be done, but yours be done. And he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. His prayer, his dying prayer... To the Father is that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. I don't know about you, but when people are dying or on their deathbed or close to death, like, you listen to their prayer, right? There's something there. There's a purity. There's a longing there. And this convicts me because I'm like... This should also be my prayer. This shouldn't just be Jesus' prayer. This should also be my prayer. As I'm praying in my prayer life, also be praying for the unity of the body of Christ, for the unity of our church, that we might be one just as Jesus and the Father are one and just as he's invited us into that oneness, that beautiful biblical oneness where we are now one with him. This should be my prayer. And what if God, what if he's, He's looking at Catch the Fire in Raleigh Durham 2304 Page Road and he's like you are the answer to the prayers of my son. Look at this beautiful unity here among this body of believers. Romans 12:5 it says so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. First Corinthians 12, 12 says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And Paul repeatedly instructs us to pursue the body of Christ because Jesus is coming back for a unified body. He's not coming back for a dismembered body. He's not coming back for a body whose arm is cut off, whose leg is cut off. Oh, they've deconstructed. Oh, they've left. Oh, they're hurt. Oh, they kicked people out because of what they've done. Meanwhile, they have sin in their own life. That's not what he's coming back for. He's coming back for a unified, beautiful body. A blameless, perfect, spotless bride in him. Amen? Not the dismembered, dysfunctional church body. So Jesus gave his body so that we could become his body. So if you're taking notes, number one is unity is spiritual. Number two... Unity is what Jesus wants. Number three, if we stick together, we can make it through anything. We can get through any election. We can get through any turmoil. We can get through any bumps in the road. If we stick together and we care for one another and we forgive one another, as Aaron shared so amazingly yesterday or last week, I'm his wife, but I'm biased, but it was an amazing message last week. Because the devil hates unity. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a little word tutorial here, okay? So, Jesus embodies unity as the son. The reason why Jesus embodies unity is because he is part of the Trinity. And in the Trinity, there is unity, right? There's three people who are functioning as one person. We've got God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are living, functioning, embodying, identifying in unity, right? And then Satan hates unity because it goes against the very fact that he is no longer part of that unity with God. The name for the devil in Greek is diabolos, okay? D-I-A-B-O-L-O-S. Lucifer is the divider and what his name literally means, Diabolos, is to cut through, to make two, and then cast apart, to divide by slander and accusation. So the identity of Jesus is unity and the identity of Satan is division because it's literally in his name, to cut through, to make two. So if you think of a circle, it's one circle, right? And we get the word diameter from the word, or from the prefix dia, which is part of diabolos, which means to, to go through the middle, right? And so when you cut through the middle, you now have two. You don't have one, you have two. So that is the goal of the enemy, is to cut through the unity and create two, not one. And where we get the word diabolical from, Is literally that last part to divide by slander and accusation. Okay, so whatever is unified, Satan is coming after, and he knows the fifth commandment: honor your mother and father, and it'll go well with you, and you'll live long in the land. So he's looking at the relationship, and he's like, "How can I come and how can I cut through that? How can I come and cut through this relationship with siblings or with friends or with pastors?" And with the shepherd and the sheep, how can I come and cut through that? It's literally his name (laughs) to cut through to make two. And diabolical, it's the tactic of the enemy to divide us through slander, gossip, lies, accusation, stabbing in the back, word curses. This is when you know that the enemy is at work. When you're in your relationships and you see these things happening, that's when you know the enemy is at work. And instead of fixing my eyes on that division, I'm going to seek unity by what? By seeking Jesus. And Jesus will come and he will bring that the two back together. Because what God has brought together, let no man separate. So no matter the attack, no matter the controversy, no matter what we're going through, we can make it together together. If we stick together and pursue oneness, boom. All right. One heart, one one soul. soul. All right. So number four, unity commands blessing. Unity commands blessing. So Jesus, or God, he looks at us and he says, wherever wholeness and unity is, I'm going to bring blessing upon that church. I'm going to bring blessing upon that house. And it's so important for us to, to seek connection, to seek health and strength, because that is a foundation that God can build his house upon. All right. He can't build it upon a crumbling foundation. He can build it upon a solid foundation and look around. All right. Look around at one another. (laughs) We've got lots of different people from all over the United States, from all over the world. We've got different ethnicities and races represented. We've got different socioeconomic statuses, different cultures, different races, or I've said that, uh, different genders (laughs) represented. And this is something beautiful that we don't see that often in the body of Christ in one roof. And heaven wants this. Because it looks like heaven. Hell does not want this. Psalm 133. You can turn with me. Psalm 133. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. That red beard. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Running down on the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. Unity commands blessing. There, brothers, dwell in unity. It is like precious oil on the beard that runs down, that runs down the collar of the robes. Unity has a direction. And that direction is alignment. It's not agreement, it's alignment. See what I said there? It's not agreement, it's alignment. We can still coexist in this body and function in this body in unity while still embracing who we are. And who God has called us to be. Because that is so important. We're not asking all of us to become one big homogenous group and people. That's not what heaven looks like. That's not what Jesus wants. But we don't have to agree with one another on everything in our lives, but we still can be in alignment with one another. And unity is never tested when you agree. Unity is tested when you can say, I think differently than you. I look different than you. I believe differently than you. But yet we're still in unity. We're still together. We're still one. And that'll never be tested if you're among people who only agree with you. We have to choose unity over offense. And if you stick around long enough, whether it's at this church or another church, your offense will most likely follow you wherever you go if you don't deal with it. But you will probably realize that this is a room full of imperfect people. And imperfect people make mistakes, but if you choose unity over offense, you will be able to stay in that place of togetherness, of oneness together, while still pursuing Jesus together. Because at, at some point, there might be an opportunity for you to get offended. Maybe even this morning you've been offended. Maybe you've heard something and you don't quite agree and you want to ask more questions. That's amazing. And that's welcomed. And a leader might do something that you disagree with or a friend might do something that you disagree with. But this is an invitation for us to receive unity and not to walk and partner in offense and partner with that diabolos where we separate from one another. <sighs> All right. Because <laughs> this is what Jesus wants. And we have to trust that our leaders are pursuing the heart of Jesus. Number five, unity is your responsibility. Unity in this body is your responsibility like i said it 's not doesn 't come from these man made programs that we create these conferences, these events, these groups all of those things are amazing and excellent, but unity is your responsibility to pursue in this body as we seek jesus together matthew five twenty three through twenty four It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. A lot of people will use worship as an excuse for the, or they will use worship to be as an excuse to be dysfunctional in their relationships. They're like, look, I'm going after God. I'm up here at the front. I'm worshiping. I just went to this conference. It was amazing. Look at what I'm learning. Meanwhile, they have an offense with their brother. They haven't even spoken to in 15 years. Haven't walked in forgiveness. (sighs) Sorry. Is this getting too too deep? All right. Okay. One heart. I feel like I just got to cut through one soul. (sighs) (sighs) If there is like Aaron was saying last week, when it comes to forgiveness, if there is some sort of disagreement or rubbing of shoulders between one another here in this room or somewhere else, God wants us to worship him in a different way by going to that person and asking for forgiveness or walking in forgiveness. And that is just as beautiful in worship as us coming up here and worshiping our hearts out. Meanwhile, our lives are dysfunctional and in our relationships are in shambles. Unity is your responsibility. It is on us for us to walk in that forgiveness. It is on us to walk and pursue wholeness with one another and to pursue oneness with one another. And that means being okay to go to one another when we have been hurt and ask for this relationship to be mended. Number six. A unified church is a generous church. As we read through in the beginning, it's talking about how in Acts chapter 4, there was not a needy person among them. For as many were, were of owners of the land or houses that sold them and brought the goods and the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had any need. Unity, a generous unified church, is a, or a unified church is a generous church. And I'm not just talking about giving of your tithes. I'm talking about the free will offerings that we see throughout all of the a lot of the Old Testament with Moses and with David. The free will offerings that are not compulsory, nothing is compulsory in the kingdom, but it is an invitation for us as we hear of needs among the body of Christ, for us to step up and be generous with our time, with our finances with what we have and what we can give, what if this church was, there was no neediness, and I I mean that in the best way of, like, no one had needs, no one had financial needs, no one had, like, prayer requests for those needs, because the body of Christ was so unified that we were hearing about things that people needed in the community, and people were stepping up and helping meet those needs. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Last weekend, we had a single mom in this church who reached out to us and said, I'm moving house. I don't have anyone to help. Is there anybody, strong, willing, abled people, men as well, to help move? And people stepped up, and they went, and they helped move for probably hours on a Saturday and gave of that need. What if we heard of another story of people who they had some sort of financial need, and people rallied around them? And gave to that need. This is what unity looks like. This is what the early church shows us. This is beautiful generosity of the unified body of Christ. It looks like looking out for the poor and the needy and the widowed and the orphan and the broken among us. It's not political. It's not demanding. It's not compulsory. But it's advocating for unity. And it's advocating for the generosity of the church and the body of Christ. So let's stand together. And we're going to pray in agreement. You know, it says where two or more are gathered in his name, it'll be done. So let's close our eyes. Yeah. Jesus, we thank you that you are the head of this church. You are the head of this body, Jesus. And we look to you. We look to you, Jesus, as our leader, as our king. Thank you that you are knitting together our hearts in a supernatural and miraculous way. Thank you for the revelation of your word, the transforming power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that as you pour yourself out, Jesus, as you're here, as you're present, The byproduct of your spirit is unity. That we don't have to strive for this. We don't have to strive to make it happen. But as we seek you, Jesus, as we seek your face, as we camp around what heaven is is longing for, Jesus, that we would see unity among the body of Christ. And God, where the enemy has come to try and divide and bring division, God, we say no to that in the name of Jesus. Not here at Catch the Fire Church, not among the body of church at lar- or the body of Christ at large. Jesus, we say no. Come on, guys, let's just lift up your own voice as you pursue this too with the Holy Spirit. You can speak in tongues or you can pray and prophesy, but God, we we rebuke any work of the enemy that comes to try and divide among the body of Christ in the name of Jesus, and we speak unity, and we speak wholeness, and we speak oneness, God. Where politics has tried to come and divide, we say no in the name of Jesus. Where nationalism has tried to come and divide, we say no in the name of Jesus. Where false doctrine has come to divide in the name of Jesus, we say no. Where offense has come, where unforgiveness, where bitterness, God, where in our own hearts, Lord, we have left churches, and we have left people based on our own hurts would you forgive us God would you forgive us would you cleanse us as your body Jesus that we would be able to be presented to you blameless and spotless as a unified body not dismembered that we wouldn't say to the hand and foot I have no need of you but we would say I need you we need one another in Jesus name We agree together collectively that we would have that biblical unity led by the power and the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. One heart. One soul. Ooh. Be blessed.